Let's open our Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're in chapter 10. So as a reminder, we'll go through chapter 10 over the next two weeks. Then we have a week where we'll do that section on head coverings, which is very interesting in the beginning of chapter 11. I'm not being sarcastic. Once you kind of, it's one of those sections you read and you go, what am I supposed to do with this? Until you kind of unpack the context of it. And then the co- within its context with all the letters, 11 chapter, 10 chapters prior, you go, oh, now I get it. So very cool part. But then we skipped that part on the Lord's Supper because we did that already. You can check that out on the podcast or what we have online. And then we'll get into chapter 12. So we're, we're, we're putting our way along. We got another book, though, in 2 Corinthians. has some of my favorite stuff. I think we have 16 chapters, right? Or 15 in 1 Corinthians? I think it's 16. There's chapter 16. Yep, 16 chapters. So we're... We're way over halfway. We're, we're, we're quite a ways through. Let's start off over here. First Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read verses uh, 1 through 12. Someone could take those for me. I'll go. 1 through 12. Please. Maybe find 12. Um, 1 through 12. Yep. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Mm-hmm. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 of them died we should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for others or for us on whom <coughs> the fulfillment of the ages has come. Stop there. Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Sorry, my last my verse will, says, "Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall." Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's my verse twelve. Yours says it differently, which is still good, but it took me a second to figure out. I'm like, is that the end of that part? So let's let's talk about this. What is Paul setting up here, right? Because we're building from chapter nine again, giving up the sake of the the sa- your your rights, your freedoms in Christ, for the sake of your brothers who are weaker than you in the faith. So what's Paul talking about when he's saying we're uniting together? Uniting together is family. And in particular with Gentiles, right? Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles. This is a letter written to people in Corinth that, um, I mentioned this before, in the realm of like Judaism, right? You needed 10 Jewish people in one city to make a synagogue. That's all you needed. They did not have a synagogue in Corinth. There were not 10 Jewish people in, in the city of Corinth to make a synagogue. So their background and, dare I say, their connection to not just the Old Testament, but, but Judaism in particular, was pretty non-existent. And I, 
to stress, what they did know about it were a lot more of like the wisdom and like as a philosophy. You know, when we talk about the wise men who came from the East, there's a lot of parts of Old Testament scripture that were used outside of the realm and world of the Hebrew people as like, oh, this is just good philosophy. It's like us quoting Confucius and saying like, oh yeah, you know, we have these great sayings and then, but people saying, well, isn't Confucianism a religion? Uh, well, for some it is, sure, but we just like these quotes because they got some cool nuggets to them. Mm -hmm. They saw the, the Hebrew Bible as outside of there. It's got some good nuggets in it. So there's maybe a couple phrases, a few things of familiarity, but not a ton. So Paul does this right in the beginning. Brothers, what does it mean to be part of a Christian church? All right, we say it often, brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm reading through the Song of Solomon. This is, uh, this is a weird tangent. Um, but he, in the Song of Solomon, he, uh, it's, it's um, a man, a woman, and a group. And the man and the woman are intimately involved, right? You know, the way he describes her, the way she describes him, and then there's this group that kind of comments on it. And the, the man who, you know, he says all these kind of, you know, erotic things about, because it's talking about like a marriage and relationship, um, also calls her sister. And you go, hmm, <laughs> hold on, if I, I need, good thing I got a study Bible, I need to read that note. What is, that, what is this about? Because um, it's not about incest, but it's talking about even under like being united as a Jewish people, that was still your sister, like we say, brothers and sisters in Christ. I may not have a blood relation to Sherry, but I, I do have a blood relation, and that blood relation is Jesus. Not necessarily like she's my aunt or I'm her uncle. That would be real weird. But um, <laughs> like we don't have like blood relatives, yet we still share in the blood of Christ, therefore we're united as a family. What he's starting to do here is... Uh, all right, let me rewind one more bit. So Paul's, Paul is an axe, right? And Paul often talk about, and I, I, I think, I don't know if it's this Bible that says it, but there's a different study Bible that talks about Paul's conversion. And I always just like stomp my feet and hit the desk. Because I'm like, Paul is not being converted to nothing. Paul is realizing the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. It's the fulfillment, not a conversion. It's not separate. It's a growth from. Like, Jesus was Jewish, and then if you're saying G Jesus was Jewish, so he wasn't Christian, so he didn't convert, you're crazy. It's he fulfilled the Jewish faith, and now there's this, now we have something that's built off of it, right? We have been grafted in, so to speak, as Jesus says, and now there's a new tree, right? But it's still all grafted in the same old vine. And so I tell people, be aware, when Saul becomes Paul, right, if you say it like that, or even though he kind of had both names before, but when Saul now becomes Christian, he's learning of the fulfillment of the Jewish faith, not being converted to Christianity. To be converted, it needs to be something different. You need to, I worshiped a different God. It was a Hinduism, right? I can be converted from Hinduism to Christianity because that's, that's a conversion. That's completely different. It's not some, you know, we don't build off of that. So I wouldn't say it's the fulfillment of, of Hinduism, right? But Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism, right? The fulfillment of the promise. And now we have more instruction that goes on top of that. Right, something built from there. So he says this, brothers. Um, and then he talks about all these examples, this whole thing. I think it's six examples. Maybe I, Oh, it is. How about that? Six examples of Israel's past, of how you're linked to these. And he says brothers, meaning, um, as we say, the communion of saints, right? All those that have gone before us and all those that are yet to come. We're united in a family. He's saying you're united to a family that's already gone. And just in the same way how you exercise your freedoms, uh, for the sake of, because you're free in Christ, and therefore the, your brothers who are weaker in the faith, you, you don't give up your rights. Guess what? You, you're playing the same old tune. This has happened before. Do I ask this question here? I'll ask it later. Oh, I see it right there. 
Why do we study the past? <laughs> to learn from it. To learn from it. And what? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, so you don't what? Repeat, Repeat the same mistakes. <laughs> exactly. That's what, it's one of the major reasons you study history. Because it's... Mm -hmm. um, and then another tangent. I guess this, this is just Chris Tangent Day. Here you go. Um, <laughs> I often tell people we think we're so much smarter than all those people that have gone before us. Yes. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm so much smarter than, than Napoleon Bonaparte or Thomas Jefferson. All these people that have gone before me, what a bunch of idiots. You know, they had, they had slavery then. How dumb were they? We, we don't have slavery now. How smart are we? And it's like, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a bad example. It's a good thing that came from it, but we don't realize how much we've built on the shoulders of the people who've come before us. Right. That, that was an effort. You know, it, slavery may not be like the prime example, but many things, technologically speaking, medicine, we all build on the shoulders of people that have gone before us. They had to make a same monumental effort that may seem so trivial now, but it's not because they were dumber than us and couldn't figure them out. They didn't have themselves to build off of. Does that make sense? Yeah, Dylan. I think anybody that does have that opinion that you know, we are so much smarter than them hasn't actually studied them and what they did and what they knew at that time. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because when you go back, you know, Thomas Jefferson and slavery. Mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson had a brilliant mind when it came mm -hmm. to a lot of things, and just because there was slavery doesn't mean that. Everybody was just on board with it and agreed with it that this is a great, wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. Because there was work, even at the time of the Constitution's writing, mm -hmm. to abolish and remove that. Yep. But they didn't have the support, they didn't have the backing and justification they needed mm -hmm. to push farther forward than they did. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. And anybody that studies any amount of history right. cannot possibly come up, stand up and say, well, we're smarter than they were. Right. Exactly. And, and compare it to a wave of one to get rid of slavery. That ain't. It's yep. in the, it's, in the, it's in the it's in the legal code. Uh -huh. I mean, it's right. a lot deeper than. And that's that's just one example, right? You can't you yeah. can't do it if you want to. Think about yeah. even computers now, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Like encoding and things like that. You know, because slavery is a great example because of how how much. Um, evidence there is of progression with it, but mm -hmm. same thing with even computers, right? Mm -hmm. If you you go back to like 1980s, oh, what am I, look at our computers now, look what they can do. I can't believe, like, how could they even use those ancient pieces of, you know, junk? They work just fine. They work just fine. Exactly, right? <laughs> but that you've seen progression with that. It's the same way here. We study history so we don't repeat mistakes, right? That being one of them. You should know the history of, of not just slavery, but there are other mistakes we make as well. Take a look at um, uh, Richard Nixon, or, or, or um, not Richard Nixon, who, who did uh, the Bay of Pigs invasion? It wasn't Kennedy. JFK. Kennedy, thank yeah, you. You look, at, you look at that and you go, man, like, I hope we learned from that. You know, we've made a few mistakes since then. Uh, you're like, oh, golly. And, and time and time again, we study history to learn from those mistakes. So he says, brothers, you're in a family that's made a lot of mistakes. Look at our history, right? Because this is a fulfillment of the Jewish faith. You are part of the family. As Christ said, we're all one tree. Now all one body, even if you're grafted in. So take a look at all these. I love baptizing the Moses. I put that on there because that is awesome. What he means by baptizing to Moses is that, that God's chosen people were the ones that crossed the, Red, crossed the Red Sea as it was split apart, right? And they came out, they went from a, a, a people enslaved to a people that are free. Just in the same way, when we go into baptism, we are people enslaved by sin that are freed by Christ. So I love that term because it's like, oh, yeah, people that were baptized by Moses. I don't remember Moses doing baptisms. It was one really big one. Um, <laughs> and it was a lot of people all at once, right? 
But in the same way, you're baptized into Moses, kind of is his phrase. You're part of those people as well. You are God's chosen people, just as they are God's chosen people. You may be grafted in that tree, but it makes you no less God's chosen people. And he's bringing that idea again of we are united together, united together. We've, and it's this wonderful part about you know God being omnipresent throughout all time, right? You have been united together even with the people back then. Right, you united together as God's people, baptized in the most. Take places as examples. You know, I just mentioned why do we study the past? Oh, so I'm going to mention this as another kind of tangent, but not really. Um, what were the Israelites really worshiping when they had the golden calf? Not do you know? Uh, huh? Not God. Not God. <laughs> so, so. Oh yes, who said themselves? Yeah. All right, so Deb, why? <coughs> because they wanted to become their own. They, they, they worship the creation of their own hands. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. Mm-hmm. What do you think idols are? Yeah. So it wasn't a pagan uh, god? like. A it could be. It, it, I, well, I'm taking it more mm-hmm. of in a rhetorical way, not like in a, oh, oh okay. yeah, here's the specific yeah. god that they were worshiping, but they worship the work of their hands. We're talking, they had to get all their gold together. What did they have? We're talking like nose rings, earrings, anything they could find. Moses wasn't gone for that long. Yet... You start to all of a sudden, when these great things happen in your life, you say, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look, we have been freed from the, and we crossed the Red Sea, now we're saved. I worship the work of my hands. Look at what we've done and what we can become. Well, it's that's tra- not how Aaron put it. He said, we threw all this stuff in, and out came this cat. I don't know. We buried it in a hole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how it got here. I didn't yeah. punch my brother. He ran into my fist. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, that Cain said to God with Abel, right? No. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's in that sense we often, often worship the creation of our own hands and our own freedoms and what we can be in charge of. That's what the Corinthians are falling into. It's what the Israelites did time and time again. Um, and that's just one of the many examples of why we study the past. Take a look at, I took that clock down and it's still not up. Um, <laughs> Numbers 25. Do I want to go this path? Do, I, do we have the time? Let's... <coughs> It's about, it's 10.24. Yeah, let's look at it. Let's go to Numbers chapter 25. And I'm not going to hit every reference, but almost all these references Paul's talking about is from the book of Numbers. Um, each one individually, yep. And if you have a study Bible, it really, I uh, hope, if you have a good study Bible, it should show you like, hey, this verse that Paul's talking about, it's this incident over here. So go to Numbers. It'll be after Exodus and after, I think, Leviticus is the order. Mm-hmm. Then there's Deuteronomy. Numbers will be after that. There we are. Twenty-five. If you get there, let me know. Hello. Yeah. Please, if you could, if you could read it. Sure. While Israel was staying in Shittim, <laughs> the men yep. began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord, Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, Each of you must put to death 
those of your men who have joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. All right, you could, you could stop there. Okay. And, you, and you can continue with the story. And you just see, again, time and time again throughout all the book of Numbers, all these things that Paul's referencing. But that's one of them when it's like, what 28,000? What, what do you mean they gave themselves to sexual immorality? I don't remember that. Um, it's just like the when they say to Jesus, you know, uh, gosh, I can't think of the first off the top of my head, but when the Pharisees, Pharisees say to Jesus, what do you mean? We've never been enslaved to anybody. And <laughs> it's like, like uh, what? Like, <laughs> maybe you forgot, but these are all instances where Paul's kind of filling in some of the gaps saying, hey, you know, you, you, you like to go and you worship at the temple of Aphrodite, saying that you're free to engage in sexual morality because you've been freed by Christ. Well, they tried to do this already. You want to see what happened to them? <laughs> like Moses said, they need to die. And then there's uh, the serpent being raised in the wilderness, right? When they grumble and they moan and complain about food and water because they've been getting quail and, and, and bread from God. And they're like, oh, <coughs> can, uh, could you send us a steak or something? We're a little sick of this. So they moan and, and grumbled in the wilderness. And he said, I'll send you a steak, all right, but I'm going to take out the T and add, add in an N. That's not how you spell snake, but you get the idea. He sends uh, a bunch of snakes. And, and they bite the people of Israel, and they're poisoned. And uh, in they, they go, oh, they're whining. And Moses, uh, he, he commands Moses to carve, a, not carve, it's actually to, like, smith this serpent, uh, this bronze serpent that they put on a pole, and they raise up. And he, all he says is, the Lord says, if you look upon this serpent, you will be saved. The thing that's raised upon um, the staff, or raised upon the wood, right? And they go, ah, some of them don't look. They go, oh, that's dumb. It's just an act of faith to look as God commanded. And some people won't even do that. And 28,000 died. And you're like, you know, people have ignored God's commands, is what Paul's saying here. And look what happened to them. And they're, st- they're the chosen people of God just like you. Don't think you could take all these freedoms and run wild with them. Um, because what you're doing when you sin against God, meaning that's what he says in chapter 8, right? You're sinning against God by, by making those who stumble that are weaker in the faith than you, God, God doesn't take that lightly. He takes it pretty seriously. So here's what he's done in the past, and I, I give it to you as a warning. And he says, I give it to you as an example, right? And there are other examples he could do. Ananias and Sapphira, right? I talk about that. I'm like, I hope I just, you know, I hope this is an Ananias and Sapphira moment for me. <laughs> like if I say, I hope I'm not doing something wrong, or I'll just die right here, or turn into a pillar of salt. Like in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? I'm just like, Lord, don't turn me into a pillar of salt. I hope this is a good thing to do. Um, now you know what goes on in my head. I didn't, so, like, I, I'm feeling good. I didn't sleep a ton last night, but I feel fine. But that's probably why the filter's off. Um, <laughs> so as we continue through here, you see all these numerous examples time and time again. And that's what verses 1 through 12 all are, right? If, if you read all of that, it's all these instances of how Israel has failed um, not just listening to God, but embracing idolatry, embracing their own sin. And he's using it. We use the law three ways. If you talk about like a sermon or a message or just how we implement it as God's people, one is a curb, meaning to curb your behavior. You know, God says, do not murder. And it's like, okay, that's a do not murder. I'm going to choose to murder. Well, you've been given a law to help curb that behavior so you're not murdering, committing adultery, uh, that you're not stealing. So we have a, uh, a left-hand kingdom, right, being the police and, and authorities, that help curb your behavior. That's the first use of the law. The second one is a mirror. And that's what Paul's using right here. He's saying the law is a mirror. I need you to take a look in the mirror because what you're saying and what you're doing doesn't reflect who God is and what he's done for you. Right? So take a look in the mirror. And he's showing them this mirror like, here are these people of Israel and all this. Does this sound familiar? Take a look in the mirror. 
because you've been saved, but you're certainly not acting like it. And hopefully, you know, they'll get to a point where they go, ah. Oh. Right? So that's the point. Any questions on that? One more. One verse. Verse 13. I'll read that for you. I think I can manage one. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I put this as one verse because it's, it, you've heard this one, right? People say it, and I, you know, as we've learned a lot in Corinthians, this is very often misquoted, right, and misused often. And it's like, why did I fail? I thought God said he wasn't going to tempt me beyond my ability. What do you mean? How, does this, oh, how is this often misquoted is kind of my first part. Right? You've heard it before, um, saying, don't worry, you know, God won't give you anything you can't handle. Mm. Who's that, who that emphasis on? You. you. Yeah. God won't give you anything you can't handle. I, I've failed plenty. I've been given stuff I can't handle plenty of times. Are you telling me that God, that God was wrong? No. no. How does it fit in in the context of what we just unpacked? You're relying on yourself. Yes, yes. To try to escape or endure or whatever. And, and it's instead not, of God. Exactly, yes. Yeah? So that's that's point one. How else? What did he do for the when people of Israel? Right, but when yeah. you're talking about the temptation of, you know, the the immorality and, mm-hmm. and all of that, um, you know, to me. When you put yourself in that position, mm-hmm. God's not the one that's tempting you. Well, exactly. You're, so yes. that, you know the the temptation that that is is there. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know those are things that are outside of you. Mm-hmm. You're the one that initiates it. I don't I don't know what you expect to have happen. Exactly. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, um, but you know, Christ was tempted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so... <clears throat> sure. He wasn't seeking that, that out, though. He was, that, he was not. You know, temptation came his way. Right. Usually, we, when we put ourselves, like you said, in that yeah, position, yeah. We're, seek, we're seeking it out. Yep. We're like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Don't, and, and, don't and there's a couple, couple ways to refer to it. Someone tells you that there's a... A, a rabid dog on a 50-foot chain. Not that dogs are bad. This is just an ex- the example it's usually used. Um, sorry, Nan. I love dogs. Uh, <laughs> but like a dog's put on a 50-foot chain. You're told, hey, that dog's on a 50-foot chain. Why do you always want to walk to 50 and a half? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to be that close? Shouldn't, shouldn't you say, like, someone told you you're on, the dog's on a 50-foot chain? Good, I'll be 125 feet away. Like, good to know. It doesn't mean... Do you want to test the... What, is, what, what did I just read? Because everything online is true. Like when re, like a rabies virus is taken hold, you have like a 99.9% chance of dying. Like, you die. You just die. die. I, well, I don't know who the point one was, right? Exactly. They amputated the arm. Only one, only one person that I have heard of has survived, and she was put into a coma intentionally. That was the point one then, right? That's, well, no, it was the zero point. The zero point one, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So that that's why would you go to why would you go to fifty and a half feet? And the dog looks nice, and maybe you're tempted now to pet it. I'd be a lot less tempted to uh, two hundred feet away. 
to, to Pentateuch that someone already warned me about. Paul's saying, we've already warned you guys. Mm-hmm. We, we've failed for you already. Trust me, don't, go to, don't get to 51 and a half feet or 50 and a half feet. Why would you do this? But yet, here's the thing, because none of us are perfect. Even when I've been warned, I fail. What did God do every single time in every single one of those instances for the people of Israel? Redeemed them. He redeemed them. For the ones that were bit by the poisonous snakes, he had a bronze serpent. Mm-hmm. You know, for the ones that, that gave in to sexual morality, uh, did God not take their descendants to the promised land? No, he still kept his promise and took them to the promised land, redeemed the second generation. In every one of these, it says God provides an escape. He provides a way out because he loves us. But you shouldn't go there. There's no temptation has overtaking is not common to man. A, God, uh, God himself, Jesus, has not endured it. Uh, he's felt every temptation on your behalf. Second being, we've done it as the people of Israel for thousands of years. And you see how it turned out? You will not be tempted beyond your ability. Your ability to what? Mm-hmm. Like, Keep you won't... Keep on Jesus. Yes, you won't be told that the chain is 50 <clears throat> feet long when it's actually 60 feet. Does that make sense? Right. You're not going to be tempted beyond your ability, meaning you will not be tempted beyond your faith. God's truth is truth. I will tell you the truth. Don't go, don't go past 50 feet because there, there's danger there. But I won't tell you the chain's 50 feet when it's actually 60 feet long and you are intentionally being put in danger. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's when we, when we read this, we're like, oh, but I thought God was going to tempt me beyond my thing. He's like, he has. He's told you where the chain is. He told you not to go there. Yet even the, though you went there and you still sinned, God, will, God is still there to redeem you out of it. But there are too often, again, like he kind of demonstrated with the, with the Israelites and the serpent, there are people still, even when they know all, all the, the outlines and the, the rules, and even the fact that God will redeem them, they still choose not to look at the serpent. And all it is is a look of the eyes and a turn of the head. But he did it all the way back in Genesis. He said, do not eat from the forbidden tree. <laughs> yep. yep. All the way back in Genesis. He's been, it's not even from numbers. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. You go back to that. So here's the thing. So let's go back to the, the chain and let's put Satan on the chain and not a dog, right? Satan's on the chain and he's telling you, do not eat from the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why would you be standing next to it? Why did you go in the danger zone? Why did you step in at 49 feet so something could happen to you, right? It's, it's another one of those. Don't you think if you told me not to eat from that tree? Well, good. The world's pretty big. I'm going to walk that way six days yeah. and then take my seventh day of rest and make sure I'm not. it's going to be a big effort. No, they're right next to it. Come on, guys. Man. <laughs> if you ever hear me going into a bar to help people with the Bible, you know something's up. <laughs> well, and, and he, he references. I'm going to go and, and help these people that are alcoholics. I will go to a bar where they are. It doesn't make sense. I'm an alcoholic. No, no. I can't go to a bar. He, gosh, it was two or three yeah. chapters ago. He, he references that. Yeah. Um, don't don't put yourself in a position where you where you yourself are going to sin or you are going to fail. Yeah. Just because you've recovered from that doesn't make you the best minister to people that are there. Right. And and we get that backwards so so often, don't we? Like, oh, because you've been there, you can help them. Man, because I've been there, I can't step into such a dark place or I too might stumble, right? I'd have to look up where that was, but we talked about that a few sessions ago. You're exactly right. Yeah, can't go back. All right, 14 through 18. You're doing great. A little Greek there. Someone could read 14 through 18 for me. 
Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Mm -hmm. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? All right, let's, let's, let's pause there. Participation, koinonia, that's that Greek word over there. When we use that, when it talks about participation, it's a much more, did I write it down over here? I did not, I'll tell you. It's, it's a much more intimate idea. It's actually the same word that's kind of used commonly mm -hmm. for intimacy. Uh, so think of how involved that is when you say you participate in that kind of act, in that kind of partnership. You are sharing in it. And you're sharing in it more than like, you know, a plate of nachos that like I eat from this side, you eat from that side. It's far more intimate and far more involved. He's saying when you, when you, he'll talk about this a little bit later. When you partake of the cup and the body of Christ, are you not being connected to the body of Christ and the blood of Christ? Again, what he talked about just a chapter ago, um, two chapters ago. We're united together, and Christ unites himself to us. Therefore, like, unite is a big word, um, a being of one flesh. So if you don't, if, uh, are not the ones who share in the sacrifices, participants in the altar. If you take that, if I have to confess that I need a sacrifice, don't I need to, in turn, sacrifice part of myself even admitting that? You sacrifice your pride. You, you, you go into a position of humility. There is a sacrifice in saying, Lord, I need your sacrifice. I, I'm a poor, sinful, miserable human being, and I need your sacrifice. I need to participate. I say it in my intro a little bit for my sermon today. We are sharing in it. I share in the mission of Christ, not have it be sold to me. Um, I have to participate within it that intimately. What are the two reasons Paul's writing this letter? We know, Right? It's for the sake of division. You guys are divided. You need to be united. So for unity and here are all the other issues. Here's all your other questions that I'm answering. You always got to keep the first point in mind. Anytime you read anything in this letter, I want you to be united together as a people. United together as a people that, again, the fulfillment of Judaism all the way back there, but united together as a church and a people today. And as you're united together as a church and people today, are you not united with Christ? You're united with Christ and you participate in that altar, in what ways did Jesus say the same thing? Ooh, did I write them down? Um, it says it lots of ways. Golly, you know, uh, I talked about it. When he says abide with me, abide's kind of that intimate connection as well. It's like, those who abide in me, I will abide in them. That is not like being grafted to the vine. We use that term often. That's an intentional process that involves a chemical reaction, which you, you're now part of that being, right? The same body and the same blood. Are we not to, oh, um, are we not united? Paul says this, but we're united together in his death. We are too united with him in his resurrection. That's a lot more than the service that's being done for me. I am participating in that. I need that death and I need that resurrection. I deserve that death and I don't deserve that resurrection, but because I'm united with Christ, I get to be a part of that. So he's again saying you're part of this family that's united together. That's not only failed for you. She's got. She's got stuff. She's good. I didn't make her. I didn't make her mad. Um, <laughs> we were wondering. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. But that's the idea, right? You're being united together. So when you participate in that that meal, right, the Lord's Supper, you're being united together with the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a position of humility of a. I don't deserve it, but b. I need it. Mm -hmm. 
So let my, let, you know, the very little sacrifice I have of moving forward, let it be out of response for the sacrifice you've done for me. Right? And he says this, and it's important to make that point because of what he says in this last part. I'll read it. Uh, 19, let me see. What do I imply then? The food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. So think of the intimacy of that word, participants. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake on the, of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Do that in reverse. Are we stronger than God? No, because... We have several examples of how we thought we were and indeed we weren't. Should we provoke him to jealousy? No, because you get serpents, you know, not that it'll happen this way, but we've tried this in the past with our family. Serpents are sent that way. Uh, you know, we decide to participate in adultery anyway, and look what happened. Like, it's us showing time and time again how we are not stronger than God, how we should be united as a people, yet we unite ourselves to these temptations and these practices, saying it's because I'm free in Christ I can do these things. I, of course I can worship idols. And of course I could um, eat of this meat that's sacrificed to an idol. Or why would you want to? An idol is nothing. <laughs> the reason being, um, very quick, is like the markets in that time. If, uh, so people, everybody would bring meat to be sacrificed to an idol at a temple, wherever it was. Priests would cook the meat and they'd do that, but then there would always be so much leftover meat, even after the priest took his share, they would sell it on the cheap. So you could get cheap meat for dinner through the meat that was sacrificed to idols. And you say, as a Christian, can I eat that? Of course. You know that that's nothing but a hunk of wood up there that's been carved. People worshiping the, the work of their own hands. Right. right? So you know that's nothing. So if you buy it and you take it home and you eat it, no problem. But what if a brother who's weaker in the faith watches you do that? Mm -hmm. right. Then that's when you need to rethink it. Again, that's that flashing yellow light. Um, but there are other, you know, the temptation there is to save a few bucks. Paul says, you know it's not a big deal, and if you could do it in secret, do it in secret. But if, if you're going the extra mile, right, you're participating in the worship of that idol, or it's perceived that you are, are you not seen as being united? Because there, there's only two things. There's no idol gods, there's no minor gods. you got Jesus, and you got demons. He's like, you are uniting yourself to demons. Those are the ones bringing you temptation. Why would you do that? Because you can't unite yourself. And I know demon, we're, we're getting to like scary talk. We'll talk, but Paul uses it as, as a very clear indication. There's, there's, no, there's one separating line, and that's it. There's not like several different categories you can participate in. It's you're, you're a participant with God, or you're a participant with demons. It's like guilt by association. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I could yeah. I go with that, absolutely. Yeah. You've compromised your belief. And you've compromised even your, your, your mission from God for the sake of others um, just to save a few dollars or just to uh, pursue earthly pleasures. Or, in this time, um, yeah, unite yourself with something else. Ma Matthew 6.24. I don't know what that was. Did I write it down? Oh, man. i got a whole bunch of stuff I could talk about. But we're, we're at the limit, and I'm preaching today. Let's see, what, let's see what Jesus has to close us with. Matthew 6.24. Oh, no one can serve two masters, for either one will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He uses that example, but you could take that word money, and it's a much broader application. 
Uh, well, it could be that. It could be um, the, the, it could be adultery, right? It could be the participant with, part, with uh, prostitution. It could be eating the meat of idols. It could be anything. You can't serve God and blank. Pleasure. Um, pleasure, uh, what, what I want to say. Uh, sinful. Like sinful nature, but also like self, self-importance. No, I want to say self-fulfillment. There you go. Self-love. Self-love. Love yourself first before you can properly treat anybody. Yes, come to my Talk sermon to today. You. You'll learn that's not true. Yes. <laughs> I said that's not true for years. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Good call. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great gift of your love that you abundantly pour into us for the sake of others. And Lord, in those times of temptation, um, will you tell us very clearly, don't step that way. Lord, we ask you to soften our hearts and soften our ears to listen to you. Don't let us be at 51 and a half feet. Help us be at 151 and a half feet. Um, but even, Lord, when we're tempted and we walk that way, help us be in the assurance of your love and grace even when we fail. Help us always to look to you and um, just bask in that great love. Thank you for this time together. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. All God's children said. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.